0: In episode 3 of the Nerd Lab, we will talk about the second building block of encounter and combat design today. Last week, we identified how to ask traumatic questions to our players by creating interesting conflicts and real decision points. This week, we will talk about fireballs and crushing blows. In other words, how to design the tools our players will need to answer our traumatic questions. Before we start with our main topic today, I would like to... ...to take the time to thank you for your great feedback so far. It means a lot to me. If you start something new, invest a lot of time and then share it online... ...you are always afraid of how it will be received by the community and by the people you value. Especially if you do not do it in your mother tongue. You know, the trolls are out there. So I personally expect the worst. But instead of getting downvoted or flamed because of my bloody German accent... I got them really incredible comments from all of you. And I just wanted to take the time to say thank you. That definitely gave me some kind of energy boost uh, to keep pushing forward. And one aspect that I got feedback about is um, that people value my project management background. And probably there are more topics that I could transfer from, from project management to game development. And um, yeah, I will, I will try to do that. Maybe this can indeed become an aspect of my podcast that makes it more unique. We will see. Today, I want to use this feedback to give you a short tip on how to improve your mental capability. Sounds great, doesn't it? Just imagine you could buff yourself and increase your intelligence attribute with a simple trick. So, what kind of magical trick are we using to improve our intelligence? To be honest, it's just very simple and an easy an easy tip there. But before we um, talk about how to achieve it, let's talk about the underlying problem here. So every one of us is creative and creativity is an important aspect of game design. This leads to new ideas um, for my game popping up and shooting through my head all day long. Although this is great, it also comes with two problems. First of all, the limited... Rum in my head is being written full and I suddenly have to many ideas I'm thinking about at the same time. So that leads to the problem that I'm not really able to focus on my main design challenges anymore. Uh, but it's these essential questions that are crucial to make brokers with my minimal viable product. The second problem is that it keeps me from living in the moment. When I'm spending time with my family, for example, I want to enjoy that time and I don't want to be mentally in my own gaming world all day long. But I also don't want to lose these great ideas I have during the day. That's why I'm using a concept called Inbox. The concept comes from the book Getting Things Done by David Allen. Many of you will will know the book. For those who don't know it yet, um, here is one aspect that I have adapted for my daily game design work. Instead of carrying all my thoughts and tasks around in my head, I immediately write them into my inbox. This should be as easy as possible and don't take longer than a few seconds. In my case, my inbox is a OneNote notebook. But I've also used uh, Evernote for that in the past. Every new entry should be a new page. No ordering, no tagging, nothing. The goal is to get it out of your head as soon as possible. This creates space in your head, prevents distraction, and gives you the mental strength to focus on the essential issues you are working on in that moment. What's very important is that you have a system in place you can trust. That means you need some kind of fixed appointment where you empty your inbox and put the topics in, for example, your design document or your design diary or um, a kind of backlog for later. You really must trust your system so that your subconscious mind is willing to completely forget about the thought you had, uh, at least for this moment this helps me quite a bit to focus on the on the topics i'm i'm working on so there's more of these kind of uh tips and tricks uh, to come in the future but for now that's enough and i'm really looking forward to dive into the main topic for today so let's get started so let's quickly recall what we discussed last week last week we um defined what an encounter is and we defined it as a resolution of one or more conflicts to achieve a desired outcome by using a variety of different interactions. And based on this, we defined a lot of components we, we need for, for our games. We, for example, need to create a hook to make our players care about the encounter. And we need to ask a traumatic question, which is, Um, More or less the player's objective, but rephrased as a yes or no question. We also need enemies, NPCs and objects. And these components will represent um, interesting conflicts for our players, which they have to solve. And I also defined um, triggers for my game that that are used to introduce new decision points during an encounter. So altogether last week was about creating conflicts. And today's episode is about the tools the players will need to resolve these conflicts. And f- I have thought about uh, the different resolution possibilities that came to my head. And for me, and especially for my game, these resolution possibilities are combat. So, for example, the players can kill the dragon mother to capture one of her ex. To stay in the example we used last week... They could um, use social combat, for example, convincing the dragon mother to surrender and hand over one of her eggs to the players. Probably not gonna happen, but maybe they could try. <laughs> then they could use their skills, for example, to sneak past the dragon and steal the egg. Or they could use some kind of decision and um, maybe they could des- decide to pay the greedy dragon Marm to sell one of her eggs, which may probably also not be a real option here in that example. But in principle, all of these resolution possibilities are controllable character behaviors. And that is exactly what most RPGs are about, controlling the skills and abilities of a character and behave with that character and often you behave with it in a way you typically wouldn't do in real life because you don't have the skills or maybe you have another alignment. So when I was thinking about the character behavior I thought about the experience I would expect from a character control system as a player. And I think one of the most important aspects is that players want to feel clever during the game. And to achieve this, we need to give them the ability to make clever choices. And this can be done for at least for a card game. This could have different layers. It could be done during deck building or during the actual gameplay. During deck building, they could choose the right abilities to put into their deck. So the correct cards for the scenario. Or it could be done during game, the actual gameplay by combining the right abilities for this specific encounter. We also can give the players the ability to develop a tactical plan, so more long-term decision-making process. Therefore, our system needs to support the ability to anticipate at least the next few actions. So, players also want to socially interact with their teammates. And our system needs to support social interaction in the team by promoting teamwork, ...without getting into the alpha player problem we mentioned in the past. This can be achieved by a shared resource system. For example, the elements in Gloomhaven. Or it could be achieved by actions that influence the other players. In Aeon's End, for example, you can manipulate the turn order position of your allies. Players also want to solve conflict with different playstyles. And our system has to support these different roles and characteristics and they should play out very differently. Since we, or at least I create a co-op game, I think diversity between the characters is more important than the balancing of each character. So for example, characters could use different resources Um, in a computer game called CardQuest. Um, for example the Archer has arrows as a resource while the mage has some kind of mana or energy and the warrior I can't really remember but I think he has some kind of resource that is based on uh, him taking damage. Though they all play out very differently um, and I don't think they are very well balanced but they create very different play styles and um, I think this is something we should have for our game as well. Um and it helps characters to fulfill different roles in, in, in a cooperative fantasy game. Players also want, um, I think, or expect an evening full of fun to relax from their daily life and um, they don't want to participate in another math lesson. Uh, this could be achieved by simple and fast-paced resolution mechanics. While I think puzzles can be fun... Um, I think they are also very often mentally challenging and I personally pre- personally prefer a system with at least some kind of randomness or hidden information so that players cannot find an optimal solution. However, this randomness often comes with a cost as well. Um, in my first prototype for example, I had a uh, a role for to determine the chance to hit um, I had a lot of modifiers I had a role to determine whether the opponent could block I had different types of damage I had armor, I had saving throws um, and this led to a combo resolution that took not only ages it also required some mentally challenging thinking and in my next prototype I will um, massively reduce the components here I would like to create a system where the planning of character actions take longer than the actual combat resolution. Another aspect is that players don't want to have too many downtimes. Uh, as mentioned before, my game should have many decision points, therefore the resolution mechanic must be simple. But we also cannot give too many options to our players, otherwise the decision making takes too long as well. You have to remember that different players need a different amount of time to process information and to make their decisions. A good example for this problem can be found in Magic the Gathering. Uh, Imagine you are playing an aggro deck and that wants to kill your opponent as soon as possible. Your decisions are probably very easy. Play all your creatures, turn them sideways and attack. Repeat. When you now play against a control player that always has a lot of cards in his hand, Um, what means he has a lot of options, there's a high chance that you have way more downtime than your opponent. The same can be true for cooperative games, where one player has two options while the other has ten. So we need to support different play styles, such as aggro or control. And this will definitely lead to a difference in complexity when it comes to decision making. But one goal should be to equalize the complexity to some degree in order to minimize downtimes for for other players. Not an easy task. From my experience, I think three to five real options are a good place to start. Other ways to reduce downtime and decision-making time could be a form of timers, as done in the XCOM board game, for example, or to prevent players from being allowed to discuss every single action or decision. And if one player always needs more time than the others, I think it would typically be solved within the social group itself. Another aspect players expect from a character behavior system is um, variation. And they don't want to use the same spells over and over again. They want new and exciting content and spells during the game. Um, So I think we have to make sure our system has enough design space for new skills um, and character behavior And also players want to be rewarded for good actions and see progress for their character So everyone likes to be rewarded of course And we need some kind of leveling or progression system For example skill trees from computer RPGs come to mind where players gain access to new skills uh, every level or where they are able to improve uh, their spells and skills uh, during the scenario or during the session. The list of expectations of a character control system that I have come up with and that by no means claims to be an exhaustive list is that players want to feel clever, players want to socially interact with their teammates Players want to solve conflicts with different playstyles. Players prefer fun over complexity. Players don't want to have too many downtimes. Players want variation and players want to be rewarded for good actions and they want to see progress. We have to keep these requirements in mind when we think about creating our skill system. Maybe the experience you want to achieve for your game is completely different, but Make sure that you understand what kind of experience you want to achieve with the tools you provide to your players. This brings us to the question, how can we achieve these expectations when we create the skills for our game? I think we need to make sure that our skills are composed of variety, uniqueness and trade-offs. And we can achieve this um, when we create enough design space and make sure that our core mechanics are able to support a large variety of different character behaviours. The path I have chosen is the following. My first goal was to figure out how I want my characters to solve the conflicts I presented to them. And this resulted in four different action types. And these are combat, so attack with a sword or cast a fireball. Social combat, which means attack with words or diplomacy. Uh, Skills, for example, to disarm a trap, or decisions, which are more or less uh, options the characters can choose from. In the second step, then, I determined the different characteristics for each of these actions, and I also determined their minimum and maximum value. Let's do this for combat, for example. So what are the main characteristics I want in my combat system? I want to... Differentiate between low damage and high damage. So an attack can be zero damage, one damage, two damage. This will be a numeric value. Then I want uh, attacks to be either melee or ranged attack. And they can also be single target versus uh, multiple target attacks. And the actions or attacks can also apply negative conditions um, to the enemies or they can, they can be plain vanilla attacks without any conditions. So this step was more or less finding out the effects of your combat system or your actions. And the third step is then um, adding risk to the system or create trade-offs. This means we also have to apply some kind of negative aspect to our skills. Um, some negative effects that I will use for my game, for example, I want to determine between fast actions and slow actions. So when I have a very high impact attack, I make, them, I make it very slow. Um, or I want uh, some kind of resource system, which is uh, either low or a high amount of resource needed for this specific attack or skill. Uh, and then I want to have uh, actions that can be interrupted versus actions that cannot be interrupted. This adds a nice risk to a skill and um, creates a trade-off the player has to choose. Uh, And I also want actions um, that cause a lot of enemy attention and result in getting attacked from maybe one or two enemies um, versus actions that do not cause enemy attention or only low enemy attention. And this is pretty much how we create our design space. Let's say you have some kind of initiative system for your game. If your fastest action has initiative zero, and your slowest action has initiative 10, uh, you have created a design space between zero and 10. So if you now combine this with, let's say, melee versus range attack, you already have 22 different possible unique skills created. And we did not even take into account the amount of damage or cost for the spell or any of the negative aspects we just talked about. Another point we need to keep in mind is that we want to design player abilities that match our enemies and obstacles, or the other way around. We need to make sure our players have the tools they need to fight the enemies. Uh, Let's make this clear using an example. Let's say we have two different enemies in our example. One is a stone golem and the other is a goblin archer. Though the stone golem is slow he has a high amount of melee damage and he has a very high armor value. Uh, The goblin archer is very fast he has multiple ranged attacks per turn um, but he does a low amount of damage and he has a very low armor. So the tactics to fight these two different monsters will be vastly different. Um, The golem for example. Could be best fought by moving fast and kite the monster, or using ranged attacks may be a good option as well. But they may not be strong enough to pierce through the stone armor. So the players need some kind of, for example, damage over time effect or other sources of true damage uh, to be able to ignore the high armor value. The Goblin Archer, on the other side, is a completely different challenge. Uh, low initial damage attack with. Damage over time is probably not the best option here. And also applying a negative effect that makes the opponent unable to move seems rather useless. Because he could still use his ranged attacks. Instead players would maybe prefer to engage the goblin in melee fight as soon as possible to make sure it doesn't attack the mage that prepares a spell that could be interrupted by one of the many um, low damage ranged attacks from the goblin archer. So in this example, we used a very small amount of our design space options here. We we differentiated between fast and slow movement. We differentiated between uh, very low and high armor values um, and between uh, melee and ranged abilities. Um, and by using this design space, we created completely different challenges for our players. And um, what we have to make sure is that the tools we give our players um, match the enemies we, we prepared. And I think it will be an iterative process. So we will come up with enemies during our design and then we will um, look through our abilities we have created um, and see if, um, if there is a very good tactic against this kind of enemy. Um, and maybe we have to adjust on our way maybe we have to create the enemies in, in another way to better match our our abilities or we have to um, add some new abilities for our characters to, to fight specific kind of monsters remember that this is all about determining the core abilities uh, of your system all the special abilities which then will be different between the classes um, will be added later We first want to create our minimal viable product and then go from there. For me it was quite easy to define the core combat tactics and their risk-reward trade-offs I want from my game. But it's still very hard for me to find the same depth for all the other areas like social combat or the usage of skills. Uh, I'm not sure if a skill is just a selection of a skill plus a random number generator that determines success against a target value. Or how can I generate more depth here? I'm, I'm not sure yet. I have some ideas, but this remains a design challenge for, for the future. What I like is that this approach showed me that my current ideas for social combat and the usage of skills just do not have the same depth as the combat mechanics. Um, and there is still some work to be done. Before we finish this episode today, I want to give credit where credit is due. There are two articles that inspired me to do this encounter building series. The first one is an article from the angry GM with the title Four things you have never heard of that make encounters not suck. And the second one is a Gamer Sutra article from the Bastion Lambotin about the fundamental pillars of a combat system. You can find the links of course in the show notes. Today we define the experience we want to achieve with our player action system. Uh, then we narrowed it down to, to different action types and their core characteristics. With help of um, defining minimum and maximum values, we created a design space we can now use to create our specific skills and abilities. Um, and in order to create interesting trade-offs, we also added um, a list of potential costs and negative effects we can we can choose from. I know everything I talk about at the moment is still very much from a bird's eye view. But I think it's very important to understand the process um, of good encounter building before we go into more detail. From my point of view, one of the most engaging feelings a player can experience is to feel smart and proud of his or her cleverness. And a well-designed encounter system, and especially the actions players can take, It's the perfect tool to let the players experience this feeling. So that's it for today. If you want to get in contact, please send me an email to uh, podcast at nerdlikeaboss.com. I hope you learned something today or got some inspiration for your own game. If so, I would be incredibly happy if you would leave me a short rating for this podcast on iTunes. This will help other designers to find the podcast and increase also um, my reach. Thank you so much for listening and until next week, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss.